Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first episode of Power Hour with Free Royal. I, of course, am Free Royal, and I will be your host for this podcast as we go on this journey throughout this season of podcasts that are going to, you know, really take the sports podcast the world by storm hopefully um i'm trying to get this out to as many people as possible i'm passionate about sports i'm passionate about music and you know we're going to talk about a lot of both on here most weeks um you know obviously this is a pretty crazy time with the super bowl going on and the trade deadline there's a lot of things going on in sports that are very interesting and i want to dive into all that as well as some things in general that are on my mind in the sports world from the past and some currently but you know i just want to kind of introduce myself to you guys and girls for those of you who don't know me i am free royal that is my artist name Full government, if you wanted, is Joseph Royal. Not very shy about that. Um, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I still live in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I'm almost 30 years old. I, told, I turn, rather, 30 in a few weeks, uh, March 2nd. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, huge sports fan. Been doing music since I was a little kid as well. As playing sports since I've been a little kid. And... It's really been an interesting experience this past 30 years, man, almost 30 years, just watching sports, watching a lot of athletes that I looked up to sort of uh, retire and move into that post-play lifestyle, Um, as well as musicians, you know, that unfortunately passed away that I looked up to. It's just been a very interesting experience as far as music and sports is concerned in my life. Um, You know, I grew up cheering for the home teams I kind of moved away from that a little bit and I could say that they did a pretty good job of pushing me away from cheering for the home team sometimes definitely the Patriots um as this podcast goes on not specifically this episode but in different weeks you'll definitely hear my takes on Bill Belichick and they're not kind um feel free to disagree but I have a lot of strong takes on Bill Belichick having been a Patriots fan for the better part of 20 years. Um, But that's neither here nor there. Um, I grew up cheering for the Celtics also. They were pretty trash when I was a kid. Um, You know, the Paul Pierce era was a tough era as far as watching the Celtics because you never thought they were going to beat the Pacers. You never thought they were going to beat the Nets. And most times they didn't. Um, Paul Pierce was pretty much alone as far as being the main offensive option on that team. Antoine Walker was overweight and I'm sorry, just seemed very lazy at times and he got traded away and, you know, Paul Pierce kind of played with a lot of young up and coming players that eventually were traded away for the big three or the other two to make the big three and Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. But Um, you know, I also grew up a Miami Heat fan. There was something about the jerseys that I just liked. I mean, all the way back to the Tim Hardaway era, the Eddie Jones, Brian Grant era, all the way back then, Alonzo Mourning. You know, I really liked the Heat. And then Dwayne Wade was drafted, which just made things even better. Shaq signed to the Heat, which made things way better. They lost in 05 to the Pistons. I was heartbroken. I was mad. 06, they come back against Dallas in the finals, and that was great. They won a finals. Then LeBron, my favorite basketball player, full transparency, comes there, which made it even better. But 
they pushed me away when they decided to sign Hassan Whiteside to Max, knowing that as soon as they signed him to Max, he was going to stop blocking shots. He was going to stop rebounding. He started to take terrible threes that made no sense as if he was like, you know, Dwight Howard or somebody just completely and utterly delusional about what his skill set was. And, you know, they made a lot of other decisions that pissed me off, like not paying Dwayne Wade and he goes and plays in Chicago just to return back to Miami. But they lowballed him on the deal that they were offering him. I think he should have gotten a similar deal to what Kobe got on the Lakers because he was the main reason why anybody cared about the Miami Heat. So, you know, that's my background as far as sports. I'll get into more of it later, but I don't want to talk too much about my background. This podcast isn't going to be about me. It's going to be about you guys and what I think you guys want to hear. And obviously, I'm going to poll you guys and um, ask opinions about what you guys want me to talk about week to week because this show is for the sports fan. This show is not for the casual sports fan. This show is for the hardcore sports fan. And whatever you guys want me to talk about, whether it's any questions that you have or just what you're what you want to hear as far as my opinion on a certain topic, I'm very open to talking about it. But because of the first episode, obviously I had to kind of choose some topics and there are a lot of things going on in sports right now that are pretty interesting and pretty compelling. So obviously the first one that we can talk about is the Super Bowl. As we are recording or as I am recording, the Super Bowl happened last night on Sunday and the Chiefs came out on top 38 to 35 against the Eagles. Um look. <laughs> the Chiefs were huge underdogs and I'm not sure why they were huge underdogs, but they were. They were huge underdogs going into the Super Bowl. Um, can we just skip all of the, you know, small talk about this game and just skip straight to the end? What a lot of people are talking about, which is the refs. Um, look, it was a great game up until that last Chiefs drive. And yes, you could say that they would have still made that field goal. And yes, you could say that one play does not decide a game. But I remember posting a tweet during the game. It was sometime around, you know, 7.30. Let me see if I can find it. Around 7.30. And the tweet, basically, I put this tweet out after an Eagles defender made a hell of a lot of contact with a Chiefs wide receiver, and it went as a no-call on a crucial third down. And what I said was pretty simple. I said, if you let that contact go now, let it go in the fourth quarter too. Well, the NFL said, hold our beer collectively and decided to blow the whistle on a play that was pretty similar to that. And they called James Bradbury for holding, which moved the Chiefs up pretty much to where it was a gimme that Butker was going to make that kick. And on top of that, it took a hell of a lot of time off the clock, and the Eagles had no time to drive and respond to a field goal or a touchdown that the Chiefs would score. Now, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, who, I'm sorry, 
as you listen to this podcast more, you're going to hear me curse just a little bit. And he's one of the people that makes me curse. He's an asshat. All right, let's just call it what it is. Roger Goodell is an absolute, just unequivocal asshat. That's what he is. He came out this past week talking about how the refereeing in the NFL is better than ever. Are you shitting me? Okay, so if the refereeing is better than ever, why is there more talk about their fuck-ups than really any of the strategies that go into these games in the playoffs? Because, quite frankly, there have been a couple of games in the playoffs that you could argue were decided by refs. I'm not a person that's really, you know, I didn't have any team per se in the playoffs. I had no horse in this race. I watched the games completely unbiased, cheering against nobody, cheering for nobody. And I got to tell you, the refereeing is not anywhere near as good as it used to be. And for him to say that just shows how tone deaf his comments can be, how out of touch he is with his fan base. It says a lot of things about him, but that's one of the main things it says about him is just how tone deaf he is. Because that's just not the case. It's simply not the case. The refereeing is not as good as it's ever been. It's not better than it's ever been. It's worse than it's ever been. There are more games being decided by a referee inserting himself into the end of a game with a bullshit call or a questionable call. And you're seeing people that never talk about the refs coming out and talking about the refs. That's not a coincidence. So now that we address that, let's talk about the game. Now, for what it was worth, pretty good game. Pretty good Super Bowl. Um, two pretty high-powered offenses. And the Chiefs, honestly, I mean, yes, they gave up 35 points, but they played better defensively than I thought they would, mainly in the second half. Um, the Eagles really never got their run game going the way I anticipated they would, which says a lot about how much the front seven stepped up on the Chiefs' side. Now, of course, Pat Mahomes... One MVP. He did not have a lot of yards in this game. I mean, he went 21 for 27, 182 yards, three touchdowns, and yes, he won MVP. Travis Kelsey, six catches, 81 yards, one touchdown. His catches were major in the first half to set a tone for the Chiefs. Not really much in the second half that he did, but really the Eagles did a pretty good job of adjusting to him in the second half. And... It kind of slowed the Chiefs' offense down for, you know, it slowed him down for a little bit. But overall, Pat Mahomes just made plays when he really needed to. And the main guy that I was surprised by was Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. I did not expect them to run the ball as well as they did against the Eagles either. That was impressive. Um, I know they run the ball better than they used to. Because Pacheco is very explosive, can run through arm tackles, all that sort of stuff. But they also didn't abandon the run early, 
mainly because it was working, which was, like I said, surprising. But usually Andy Reid teams just, you know, he's been criticized several times in the past for not running the ball enough, abandoning the run too early, um, not putting enough emphasis on getting the run established. But that was not a complaint last night. Now, not for nothing, Jalen Hurts played exceptional. 27 for 38, 304 yards, one touchdown throwing, three touchdowns rushing, and was also their lead rusher, 15 carries, 70 yards. Very impressed with him. I've gone on record in the past as saying that I didn't think Jalen Hurts was a pro quarterback. I thought he was drafted even too high when he was drafted. And he went out this past offseason and worked on his throwing motion and worked on his accuracy. He already had the athleticism, worked on his poise in the pocket, and that boy is... He is very talented and has a very high ceiling. Very great and bright future in front of him. Um, His two receivers came up big as well. Devontae Smith, seven catches, 100 yards. Didn't get in the end zone, but almost did on that catch down the sideline. That was a really crucial catch. A.J. Brown played big, made big plays all night. Six catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. The Eagles' offense really broke down in the second half, I think, because of the fact that they could not run the ball. That's really what it came down to. And honestly, Travis Kelsey, they did, to an extent, shut down Travis Kelsey in the second half, but that was the main worry if you're an Eagles fan. How much attention do you dedicate to a Travis Kelsey knowing that the rest of the guys are going to get off? And there were a couple of those screenplays that I mentioned on Twitter where... You know, they tried to get those pass rushers getting a bit too far upfield, and they would throw that screen right behind them and get a good 8 or 10 yards. And that's what Kansas City is really good at, those, you know, sort of dink and dunk plays when you think they're going to throw the ball over your head. They're not really that much of a deep-throwing team anymore. Of course, Tyreek Hill is, you know, a part of that now that he's in Miami. But they've transformed this offense into something that is a lot more dangerous because Pat Mahomes has been trained now, you know, his fifth year in the NFL or whatever it is, to take the short stuff. Where he didn't like to take the short stuff before, Josh Allen is still working on that, as we've seen this past playoffs. But it's sad that a great game like that was ruined because the refs decided to insert themselves and make a pretty questionable call towards the end there, especially considering the fact that in the first half they didn't call that. And it's a huge disservice to the fans, a huge disservice to the Philadelphia Eagles, and it's just unfortunate. For me, it kind of ruined the game. It was very anticlimactic at the end, but can't blame the Chiefs. The Chiefs played well. Came out, you know, the underdogs in that Super Bowl, they came out on top. And honestly, going into the next year, I don't see how they're not the favorites to repeat. It just seems like they are the team that is best at making adjustments in the playoffs when they really need to, whether it's offensively or defensively. They just have so much poise and so much experience in these situations. And that is where they differ from, you know, the Eagles. That's where they differ from, you know, the Bills and teams like that. So that's going to be interesting. I think it was a pretty good NFL season. I think there was a lot of parity this year. And that's definitely welcome. 
at the same time, you still have your superstars. You still have your teams that the that they're the top echelon teams that you expect to go pretty deep in the playoffs. But you also had some teams that sprouted up and played pretty well this year. The Giants have a future with Daniel Jones. We can see they have a future with Brian Dable at the helm. Um, the Jaguars played exceptional this year, especially following the shit show that was the Urban Meyer era. Some people questioning whether Trevor Lawrence had the talent. He always had the talent. When you have a coach like Urban Meyer that thinks he's still in college and can just do whatever the hell he wants to, nobody respected him on that team. They've made it clear. They made it clear while he was there. They made it clear when he was dismissed, and they made it clear this year. Every time they got the chance to compare this year to last year, they made it clear that it was night and day. Um, The Bengals, I think, will be back next year in the thick of things. Joe Burrow is a superstar. Joe Mixon is a great running back. Jamar Chase and now T. Higgins, they are two star receivers. They have a great defense. They still need to work on that offensive line, but that shouldn't be that difficult. The Dallas Cowboys, pretty disappointing performance to get booted out of the playoffs against San Fran, but I think they still have some upside to them. I don't know how much Zeke has left. He's been showing some age, and Dak has unfortunately... To me, from the outside looking in, it seems like he feels the pressure of carrying the offense, and sometimes he forces throws that he shouldn't try to force. He seems a bit out of rhythm in the pocket, which isn't good. Um, And, you know, of course, he missed time. So that's a part of it, but... In the grand scheme of things, firing your defensive coordinator, or I'm sorry, offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, I don't think that really does anything. I think his play calling was a reflection of Mike McCarthy. And I just think that to scapegoat him in that situation, I I just didn't agree with it. But Jerry Jones is going to do what Jerry Jones is going to do. Um, the last team I'll talk about just before I move on to some other things, I do want to talk about the San Francisco 49ers because they are an interesting situation now. Um, they have a superstar running back. They have a superstar receiver and they have a budding star at quarterback that was, Drafted very, 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 very late in the draft. I think it was the last pick in the draft, if I'm not mistaken. With Trey Lance coming back, it seems to me there's going to be a quarterback controversy early on. If they did not nip that in the bud immediately. Make it clear whether it's going to be a quarterback competition or if one guy is the starter and the other is the backup. Either way, you can't let that linger into the regular season. I believe Brock Purdy has earned the right to go into next year as the starter. But Kyle Shanahan might have different plans. I think that they should be 
at least top three as far as the favorites in the NFC going into next year. They're a complete team. If Brock Purdy didn't get hurt, that game might have looked different against Philly. We don't know. And as Kanye West would say, guess we'll never know. But that's pretty much my NFL talk. I mean, I, I enjoyed the season for the most part. Um, Ready to move on. You know, the XFL is coming back. USFL is coming back. So seems like we're not going to be going without football for much long or longer. I don't know what kind of sentence that was. I just put together. Jesus Christ. I don't think we're going to be going that long without football is my point. And for baseball fans, you know, you got about mm, month, I guess. About a month, month and a half. And then you'll be able to dive into that season. I'll be just completely honest. I, I'm i not a huge baseball fan anymore. I watched it when I was little. I, I still pull for the Red Sox, but eh. Baseball to me still suffers from the antiquated, just old tropes that they continue to push because the older generation can't get out of their own way. They still have this belief that if a guy celebrates a home run for longer than they see fit, you should throw the ball at his head. And I'm sorry, I just, I don't agree with that. And I think a lot of people that don't watch baseball, have never watched baseball, and might even be interested in watching baseball are turned off by that. They're turned off by the length of games. They're probably, you know, I'll speak for myself, turned off by the amount of games. I mean, what makes the NFL so special is the fact that there's 17 opportunities to watch your favorite team play. That's it. 17. You know, and then, of course, if they make the playoffs, that's a different story. But realistically, there's 17 games for you to watch with your favorite team. With baseball, it's 162. Who the fuck is keeping track of that? I mean, you know, there are people, oh, I'm a real baseball fan. I watch every single game. Well, God bless you. Well, God bless you, because there ain't no way in hell I'm doing that. It makes it feel less special and less important when there are way more opportunities. Just imagine if all the Taylor Swift fans could just get tickets whenever they felt like it. Right? It just makes it feel less special. The NBA, you know, their season is probably half the length, I guess, roughly of the MLB season. Seems like baseball teams are playing every goddamn day. And I guess it is. It's a positive that I guess you can randomly turn on the TV and see a baseball game on. But if you're not interested in baseball, that shit don't mean nothing to you. Um. You know, they're trying to eliminate 
the history or erase the history of baseball somewhat with the guys that they want to ban that were quote unquote juicing. Mind you, Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter to ever play. Roger Clemens is one of the greatest pitchers to ever take the mound. Pete Rose is the all-time leader in career hits. None of them are in the Hall of Fame. It's a fucking travesty. And Pete Rose is Pete Rose is probably the most egregious because he was betting on his team. Wasn't betting against his team. Wasn't doing anything to deliberately hurt his team's chances of winning. You're punishing him for, what, trying to coach to the best of his ability? Because his money's on the line? Fucking ridiculous. But I'm going to get off my baseball soapbox. I'm sure in the future I'll have something to talk about as far as... um. You know, I'll have something to talk about as far as baseball is concerned, but it probably won't be anything as far as, oh, my thoughts on the season, because I, I I, just, I don't watch. <laughs> so, um, you know, I haven't watched in a few years. I'll catch a game once in a blue moon. Sunday night baseball, something like that. But um, let's move on to some things that have been on my mind because... You know, when I'm recording a song or writing a song or driving, things just randomly pop into my head. And I'm trying to come up with a name for this segment, but right now we don't really have segments per se. Um, For now, it's going to be called Things On My Mind. Catchy kind of title, right? Things On My Mind. Um... The first thing I've been thinking about, I was watching an 80s game, an 80s NBA game the other day, and man, these old heads just love them some 80s basketball. I mean, I get it. You were sitting cross-legged in front of the TV at the age of five watching Michael Jordan play against these lumbering bigs and... Legal defense was going on where guys that couldn't really effectively dribble with their left hand (laughs) 10 times in a row were scoring 50 because they were ISO'd. And you, if you wanted to bring help, you had to pretty much just full on double team. You couldn't zone up the way you can today to force them into taking some sort of mid range jump shot or, you know, forcing the guy to make a more difficult decision on a cross-court pass or something, right? Just, it can't just be all or nothing, right? So anyway, I'm watching this game, and I'm just like, people don't get how good we have it these days with NBA basketball. They really don't. They can whine and cry about the lack of contact, in the paint, the lack of contact on the perimeter. But give me the lack of contact on the perimeter and the lack of flagrant fouls 
that took the game to a point where it seemed like they were playing football. Give me that lack of contact over guys going under screens for Larry Bird, which is just stupid, brain-dead stupid. Illegal defense, which didn't allow you to effectively defend a superstar score. And, yeah, give, give me those two. Give me the lack of contact. But let me be able to zone up against a guy that is probably going to score 40 anyway because he's so offensively gifted. That's the other thing people forget. These guys are different these days, bro. Offensively, they're different. They are superiorly skilled. Or supremely skilled. My grammar is fucked up today. But supremely skilled, man. Like, these ain't bums out here dropping 50. These dudes can play. Offensively, they got a deep, deep bag of moves and counter moves. So the people whining about today's game, go back and watch in the eighties where teams had to flat out double team a guy. And the only reason why illegal defense worked in the eighties, the way it did was because, you know, teams weren't running four out one in the way they are now where the legal defense would be called damn near every play. It'd be like holding in the NFL, the way they say you could play, you could call holding on every play. That's how it would be if there was legal defense these days. You can have four dudes on the perimeter, one dude in the paint on the opposite box. And you're telling me that you just want Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, John Morant, you name it, to be able to isolate until you just got to straight up bring a double team. You think that's the answer for today's offenses? Just because you can hand check? Are you shitting me? Shout out to JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick constantly debunks these terrible sports takes, especially basketball, obviously, because that was his area of expertise and still is. He debunks these generational just stupid takes. Draymond Green came out and talked about how much offense has evolved when he was watching the Bulls, one of the Bulls finals series. People really don't get it, man. There is a happy medium. I'm not going to act like there isn't. There is a happy medium for the amount of contact that should be allowed on the perimeter coupled with being able to zone up against guys. And that would be, to me, playoff basketball during the regular season. If you call the games the way you call them in the playoffs, there's just enough contact on the perimeter to force these guys to, or I, sh- I should say, prevent them from, you know, just having a collision course with the basket every time. Um, 
you don't see in the playoffs guys blow by defenders nearly as much. And that's another thing these old heads ignore. They ignore playoff basketball. There's not complaints about the high-scoring games in the playoffs. Teams like Memphis thrive in the playoffs defensively. Teams like Golden State thrive defensively in the playoffs. Teams like Cleveland back when LeBron was on Cleveland. And I'm not talking about way, way back Cleveland with that trash-ass squad. I'm talking about Kevin Love, Kyrie, LeBron, Amon Shumpert, Cleveland. They thrived in the playoffs defensively. Part of the reason why they beat Golden State in 2016 was because they got physical on the perimeter. So it's not that there isn't defense in today's game. I think that is just a terrible, terrible analysis of what today's basketball is. It's not that there isn't defense in the league. It's that there does, I agree, need to be more contact allowed on the perimeter, but it does not have to be hand-checking. If you're able to move your feet and beat that offensive player to the spot, you shouldn't be called for a foul. At the same time, you shouldn't just be able to shove a guy. That's not, that doesn't take any skill. Um, That's been something that's been on my mind because, God, I see these old heads on Twitter. Uh, MJ would average 40 these days the way you can't touch anybody. Jordan was taking 13 free throws back then. Is anybody taking 13 free throws this year? Let's look it up. Most free throw attempts per game. 2023, 2022, let's call it. Joel Embiid last year averaged 12 free throw attempts. Which, eh, it's it's a lot, right? He's the guy that hits the ground a lot. So this year, Giannis is actually averaging 13. But the amount of people in the 80s, and we could talk Alex English, and we could talk Michael Jordan, the amount of guys that were averaging high eights, I mean, or I should say high single digits, close to 10, it was ridiculous. People act like players just get to the free throw line constantly in this era. They don't. Part of it is the volume of threes that are taken. But another part of it is the fact that guys ain't getting those calls the way they used to with the rim. LeBron's taking, what, six per game this year? So people need to stop with that no defense thing. No, there's just a different type of defense that you can't appreciate as far as the amount of different calculations these dudes have to make in their head, the amount of reads that they have to make in PNR and dribble handoffs rotations it's a lot different there's a lot of different and there's a lot more i should say things that they have to look for and the average nba defender these days is far better than the average nba defender back in the 80s and it's not really debate so that was the first thing on my mind um something else i want to talk about is I think a lot of times 
and I'm going to get into the NBA trade deadline in a minute, but a lot of times I think that players are unfairly criticized for the way that they approach their career as it pertains to their relationship with the front office, their relationship with the coach, and really just these players are unfairly criticized in general. It's not even, it's not even just one thing. Um, and I say that to say, you know, at this trade deadline, the Nets have turned back into a full-time dumpster fire. And for the people that are talking as if KD and Kyrie were the issue, what did James Harden have to say about that? What did James Harden, and look, I'm not a James Harden fan by any stretch of the imagination. I am pretty much the opposite of a James Harden fan. But James Harden spoke about the organization, not outright, but he talked about some of the issues in that organization that led him to requesting a trade. Now, I don't think you just leave your boys high and dry. If you claim they're your boys. But at the same time, there was more than just basketball. And Steve Nash. And not liking the offensive system. There was more than that. That went into James Harden requesting a trade. So. Let's talk about this trade deadline because, like I said, the Nets are a full-time dumpster fire now. And I, for one, am happy about it because fuck Josai for pretty much trotting out Kyrie like he was some runaway slave. And, hey, look who we got back. We got our runaway slave back. We're going to make him apologize to the entire plantation because of something he said. Oh, wait, he didn't say anything. He shared a link to a documentary. And you lowballed him in your offer for an extension and included a stipulation that involved them winning a championship? Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to hold Kyrie Irving individually responsible for them winning a championship. You motherfuckers ain't won a championship since the damn Nets when Dr. J had the big-ass afro. So, forgive me if I'm a bit brazen about this whole Joe Sy and Brooklyn Nets situation, but Joe Sy can go play in the fucking park, as far as I'm concerned. He should be down on his knees 
thanking Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for putting some eyes on that franchise that only had D'Lo to look forward to in a first-round exit. And let's not forget when they tried to put that so-called super team together, yeah, that super old team that they wanted to put together just to be pretty much, uh, they wanted to be one guy. All the motherfuckers that were bitter because LeBron's teams would blow them out of the water in the playoffs. They got Joe Johnson. They got Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to waive their no-trade clauses. Boston took back Gerald Wallace and fucking whoever the hell else. Let's not forget that shit. That's where Brooklyn was before Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving decided to come to Brooklyn. That was y'all's history. You came to Brooklyn, it was all this glitz and glamour and Jay-Z this and Brooklyn stand up that and yada, yada, yada. Motherfuckers were better in New Jersey with Jason Kidd. And Kenyon Martin and Kerry Kittles. We said we're making finals back then. So I don't want to hear shit about how toxic Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were. I don't want to hear a goddamn thing about that. So they're back to being a dumpster fire anyway. Let's let's get on with it. So the Nets are back to being a dumpster fire. They're going to suck now. Great. And... It's kind of a stroke of genius because Kyrie and Kevin Durant both requested a trade request or put in their trade request at a time where they had played the Nets into being in pretty good position to the point where they were second in the Eastern Conference. So now guess what? The Nets ain't even going to have a fucking lottery pick. They played with this dude and he thought he had the advantage. No, motherfucker. You got the advantage in no way, shape or form. They played you like a fiddle because you played them and played with them and negotiated in bad faith. So now you motherfuckers ain't even going to have a lottery pick next year because they played you in the second seed in the fucking Eastern Conference. You can take that, Josai. See how you feel about that shit. Cornball ass. Anyway, I said I was going to move on, so I'll move on. I'm sorry, that shit just pisses me off, like, You're going to bash Kevin Durant, or not bash Kevin Durant, but you're going to lie to Kevin Durant about your negotiations with Kyrie Irving to the point where he goes and requests a trade, and then you're going to negotiate in bad faith with Kyrie Irving and basically put the onus of winning a championship strictly on his shoulders? Nah, fuck out of here, bro. So Kyrie Irving was traded to to the Mavericks, rather, for Spencer Dinwiddie. And Dorian Finney-Smith. And they also sent over... Uh, God, I should have my notes in front of me. But I don't. Um, they sent another player over that is really that goddamn important. So the Nets got back Dorian, Dorian Finney-Smith, who is a key piece on a championship team, which they are not. And they got back Spencer Dinwiddie, who left because I believe he didn't have any real spot in the rotation when Kyrie and Kevin Durant went there. He was also hurt at the time. So now he's back on Brooklyn. 
I'm sure he's just thrilled to be leaving the Dallas Mavericks, who had a real chance to go pretty deep in the playoffs, and now he's back on the fucking Brooklyn Nets. I feel sorry for you, Spence. Kyrie Irving is now playing with a top five player in the league. Again, Luka Doncic, probably the best scorer pound for pound in the league, skill for skill. Kevin Durant's right there, obviously. And, yeah, you could, you could say he's first, but Luka's right there. They have a chance to go pretty deep in the playoffs now. They don't have to match up hunt and play all this iso ball. Now Luka can play more off ball. He can post. Kyrie can post. They both can come off screens. They both can distribute. They both can finish the basket. Can't wait to see how they work together. Kevin Durant got traded to Phoenix. Along with Ty Warren. That makes them... The prohibitive favorites to me. Chris Paul, who I believe is essentially washed at this point. And look, if you want to hear my opinion about the Phoenix Suns, obviously the KD trade notwithstanding, there is a video on this very channel that talks about that. That talks about how they lowballed DeAndre Ayton. But all that aside... Devin Booker, Chris Paul, even at this point, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton. Um, you do lose Cam Johnson. You do lose Mikel Bridges. Those are two big losses. But, I mean, you add Kevin Durant along with those guys. That's a championship team. If they can figure out how to keep DeAndre Ayton invested by getting him some touches... Have Devin Booker coming off screen, spotting up uh, when Kevin Durant is ISOing. Even put Chris Paul in the post a little bit. It's a dangerous team. That's a very, very dangerous team. I'll tell you another dangerous team. People are going to laugh at this. I don't care. The Lakers traded for D'Angelo Russell. Now look, I'm not... A big fan of how D'Angelo Russell's played the past few years. I think the peak of his career so far was in Brooklyn when he was by himself and he really matured as a player and as a point guard. But he has a new lease on life now. Again, on the Lakers. He's playing alongside a guy that he wanted to play alongside for a long time, Anthony Davis. He's playing with, for my money, a guy that's in an argument to be the greatest basketball player to ever play, LeBron James. So, they are very dangerous. They've added Malik Beasley. Outside shooting, he can also get to the rack. Jared Vanderbilt, finisher around a basket, rim protector. Rui Hachimura, they already had him, I guess, a few weeks prior. He's a big-time addition, too. The Lakers are primed for a deep playoff push if they stay healthy. Mark my words. You can come back, refer to this podcast, write it down, screen record it, whatever you want to do. If D'Lo plays up to his potential, 
if LeBron can stay healthy and and have enough gas going into the playoffs, if AD can stay healthy and interested, the Lakers have a chance to make a deep playoff push. Do I think they're better than Phoenix? No. Do I even think they're better than the Clippers right now? Probably not. But you look at the West, and just a second ago, it was pretty wide open. Right now, it's not very wide open. I think there's about three or four teams that are built to make it to the Western Conference Finals and or the Finals. Golden State, you know, if you just talk about the outlook in general on the NBA, and this is what I'll pretty much close with. When you look at the outlook and the status of the NBA right now, Heading into all-star break. I mean, look. Golden State's in trouble. They have a terrible record on the road. I think that Draymond uh, Jordan Poole issue, fight, wasn't really a fight. It was more like an assault. I think that played a big role. And I think it's playing an even bigger role right now with them on the road. Chemistry has to be very tight playing road games, especially when everybody's taking their best shot at you every time you go into their gym. Stephen Curry's injured. I think Wiggins was injured for a little bit. They just traded away Wiseman. They dropped the dead weight. No disrespect, but Golden State don't got time for you to get in shape and all. Nah, Mm mm-mm. This is a team that views most seasons as championship or bust when you hear them talk. So, from that perspective, Golden State's in trouble. I don't see them as a factor right now. They need to get healthy. And I don't see them going into somebody else's arena come playoff time and flipping that switch. I just can't see it. I'm open to being wrong. Stephen Curry is Stephen Curry. But this West ain't the same West. Now, if you go to the East, um, the Bucks finally have Chris Middleton back full time. That's encouraging. Um, You know. They have Drew Holiday playing steady. Giannis is playing like the superstar that he is. And they still have that supporting cast that is very, very good. One of the best, deepest rosters in the league. At the same time, I don't see them beating Boston four out of seven games. I think Boston is going to sleepwalk to the finals. We'll see about Philly when Maxie comes back. I like Tyrese Maxey. A lot of talent, a lot of potential. I don't see Harden keeping up this level of play. I just don't. He's playing pretty well. I got to give it to him. He's playing pretty well. Embiid's playing like an MVP. But I don't see Philly holding this level of play throughout the playoffs. I don't trust them to go into Boston or Milwaukee and, and win a game on the road. When they really, really, really have to. And there's one team I forgot in the West, uh, Denver. Denver's obviously still a factor. 
we'll see how they do in end of game situations because a big problem for them in the past was being way too Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic centric in their sets and their play calling towards the end of games. They struggled to close out games back when those two were playing together. Um, we saw it in the bubble, saw it the year after that. So there's only a couple teams I trust come playoff time in the West and a couple in the East. I think the NBA is pretty wide open and I think it's in a pretty good spot right now heading into the all-star break. And it's going to be very, very compelling heading into April, May, and obviously the finals in June. As for me, I just want to give you guys a preview of things that are to come because I I did say I am, you know, I'm going to have guests. I don't want to rush into that. I want to make sure that the guests sort of um, fit the timing and the, you know, the place that we're going to be in sports in a couple weeks. Because, you know, certain guests are more knowledgeable, God, I can't talk, knowledgeable about certain things. Some are big football guys, some are big basketball guys, others watch soccer and um, baseball and boxing. I haven't even gotten into boxing today. Um, Huge boxing fan, boxed when I was little. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm going to have some guests. I'm going to have my best friend on here. Best friend in the world. Been my best friend for about 15 years. He's going to come on here. Another good friend from YouTube I met about 10, 11 years ago. We actually do do a podcast. Do-do. God, I'm fucking childish. Um, We do a podcast every other week. It's called What the Fuck Just Happened. Um, Talking about DJ81 on Twitter. At DJ81. Um, we do a podcast bi-weekly, so pretty cool. Definitely a good friend. Um, Dre Watson. No Dre Watson's going to be listening. Um, pretty notorious for going off on um, Call of Duty. And pretty sl- sick with it in 2K2. Um, Warriors fan. One of the few actual Warrior, Warriors fans I know. But yeah, man, I got a lot of guests coming, man. It's going to be fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this first episode. It's definitely going to be a work in progress. You may see me come on camera in the next few weeks trying to get some things in order. But for now, you're just going to hear this voice. And, you know, I, I take pride in that because... I'm a singer, so my voice is, you know, that's where the money is. And trust me, come August, September, you're going to hear a lot of music from me. It's been a long time coming. I'm excited. A lot of y'all only know me so far from my sports takes. Trust me, I am way more passionate about music. But, you know, I might I might add an intro here or there that has me singing on it or certain segments where you get to hear some stuff, but you know, this podcast is going to be mainly about sports. So I hope y'all enjoyed this first podcast. That was all about current sports events and a little bit about the past. That's what it's going to be. So until next week, I hope all y'all take care 
Have a blessed weekend. Have a blessed rest of the week. And yeah, man, y'all take care. Peace.